On this episode of What's Up Award, we interview Mr. Bryson Davis. He is a licensed therapist residing right here in Indianapolis, Indiana. He shares important information about mental health, especially in the black community. You know we don't like telling our business outside the house, but you're going to get some compelling reasons of why you should consider changing those views coming up right now on What's Up With Ward. You're now listening to What's Up With Ward. For those of you who may not know, this is a podcast that focuses on love, life, relationships, and everything in between. Everyone has a story to tell. We just want to know what's yours. And to our regular listeners, including those like Gretchen Coates, salute. salute. Again, my name is Wardy Ward, and the man next to me with the plan is Trey in the building. What's going on, Wardy Ward? You know we back at it again like we never left for the first time. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Today on What's Up Award, we're going to take a deep dive into the weeds and discuss a topic that many people are realizing is a real issue mental health in the black community in the black community there's a negative stigma surrounding mental health instead of seeking professional help for conditions such as depression and anxiety many in the community resort to self-medication on drugs opioids and alcohol or isolation and attempt to solve their own problems this issue of masking pain is especially prevalent among black men So we have a special guest today, and he's an expert with several years in this field. He runs his own practice in Indianapolis, Indiana. He's married to his beautiful wife. She is a nurse, too. And he's an esteemed member of Phi Beta Sigma. This man definitely believes in giving back to the community. Ladies and gentlemen, please join us in welcoming Mr. Bryson Davis. Good you- afternoon. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. It's a pleasure to be here. All right. All right. Good to be here, man. So we've been wanting to talk to somebody about this topic for a minute. So I'm glad you stepped up to drop your knowledge on us. So um, before we get going, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Like, where'd you grow up? What's your family structure like? You know? Yes, I grew up in Fort Wayne, Indiana, which is two hours north of Indianapolis. Raised by a single mother who was a hardworking, uh, beautiful uh, woman. Uh, I have four sisters and a brother. Mm. Um, we grew up in a, a working class home that uh, valued religion, that valued responsibility, uh, that valued rules, uh, accountability, and everything else to make a person successful today. So you telling us you was in church seven days a week and you got regular beatings? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was I was in church maybe I could say four days a week because my uh, father drove the church band. Wow. <laughs> so I'll be, you... playing, I'll be playing basketball and then, you know the church band will pull up and I have to jump in the church band and go to uh, go to choir practice or or really and and my father would make us go and clean the church on Saturdays too. So mm. wow. Okay. So you have you said four brothers and four two... sisters and a brother. So six of y'all. Okay, okay, so where did you fall in line in, in the order here? Were you the youngest? You were the middle kid? Were you the I oldest? was the, I was the I was the middle I was the third child but the oldest boy. Shout out to the middle kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, now you also said that uh you said your mother was a single parent but your dad was there so so you kind of Well my well my mother was a single parent um and my stepfather was a big influence in my life. 
Okay. So he, although although he didn't uh, reside in a home with us, he uh, he was definitely influencing our life, and uh, uh, he would come around often. Um, and we had a really good relationship with my stepfather. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's good to know. I was wondering. So, how did you get into this field? What what was the, the purpose of it? I mean, well, I got into this field because when I was in college, I uh, for, I was the first generation college student. And if anybody know a first generation of college student, you really is like the blind leading the blind. <laughs> so I, I didn't have I didn't have an idea what I wanted to major in. And so I uh, I majored in uh, general studies with my minor in African American studies. Okay. And when I left college, um, I didn't prepare myself as adequately as I, I should have. So I was like, I need a job. But I knew I was good working with kids because part of my fraternity, we used to have to volunteer with the Boys and Girls Club Mm -hmm. um, in Bloomington, Indiana. I attended Indiana University. And uh, I said, "Um, let me uh, apply for this uh, program working with youth at a a Wiser Park Youth Center. And um, that was my first introduction to social work. And that was in November 2001. And uh, 20 years later, I'm still in the field. (laughs) (laughs) So so you got to your first your bachelor's degree is in general studies in yes yeah yeah so with that i always wonder about that degree because you could do a lot with it and also you could do nothing with it right absolutely absolutely because i didn't under i i really i really didn't know what i wanted to major in and then by time i got to an age that i knew what i wanted to do i only had like a year left (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that sounds familiar and uh the financial aid was running out because it is uh-huh. it is a limit it is a cap to it uh-huh. uh so uh, i said well let me just get my degree in general studies and i'll just have the lord lead me to where he wants me to go and uh he t- uh, took me to this field there you go all right um so do you have a license in this field because i mean yeah. it, go ahead yeah which was yeah, your license I, certification I, yeah, I, uh, I got my LMACA, which is a licensed mental health uh, clinician associates. And I, and after 2000 more hours, I have my permanent licensure. OK, so there is a difference between a, a therapist and a counselor. Absolutely. A, a therapist is someone who pretty much is licensed because the state recognized someone with a license. They specialize in it. So that's mm-hmm. the difference between a therapist and a counselor. But it's it's a wide range that you can do within this field. So a lot of people like calling themselves therapists. A lot of people like calling themselves social workers, counselors, job coaches. It's just it just uh, preferably what you feel you want to call yourself. But the professional term, if you want to be called a therapist in Indiana, you have to have a license. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So can anybody just do this? Like I see a lot of people on the internet. Yeah, like that. What's that guy? Uh, I think it's guy named Kevin Samuels. He, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> well, uh, people people think they can do it until they actually get into the field and realize it's more than going into a home talking to people. You have to research. You have to study. You have to understand people. You have to be resilient and you have to uh, be strong because going into homes or, or working with people, you taking in their problems and you're going to have to help people guide. You got you have to guide people through their problems to get to their goals. So it's more difficult than what people really believe it is. Mm-hmm. I'm, tw- I'm 20 years in the field and I still feel like I, I have a lot to learn. You know, Bryson, I was just thinking about what you just said about 20 years in the field. What, what changes have you seen from over the past 20 years? I mean, no doubt there's been the situation with COVID that's kind of change how, how things happen in, in, in the field and how you're dealing with people. But what changes have you seen over the past 20 years? 
Well, I think uh, some of the changes I saw in the past 20 years, it's a lot of money being uh, thrown into the, uh, I hate to use the term thrown. It's a lot of money that's uh, being allocated to mm-hmm. mental health now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of people understand that it's really important. And a lot of people um, are getting past the stigma of, hey, it's something wrong with me and I need somebody to talk to. Right. So that's what changed in the field. And also, a lot of African Americans are really uh, getting into this field, especially men. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one of the changes that I see in this field. Because when I first started in the field, it was, it's a predominantly women woman's field, and there was a lot of uh, women that I was working with. It'd be companies where I uh, was employed at, and I was the only male. Now it's a lot. Uh, it's a lot of African Americans that's getting interested in, in uh, mental health, and I see a lot of African American males uh, joining the field. Have you found there's been an increase also in fastest related to inclusion and diversity in relation to therapy? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, uh, A lot of my people on my caseload are Caucasian. Um, So it's interesting that when people want help, they don't really look at color. They they just want the best results. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's not true everywhere, is it? Because, you know, I'm in the insurance game and I travel some places and a lot of times, man, when you go like we in Indiana, if we go to Southern Indiana, they, they don't want to talk to me. So, <laughs> well, it, it, it just depends. Well, it may it just be Ward, though. I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 believe, I believe it depends on the individual because it, it is a business, and you do have to sell yourself. Mm-hmm. So I, do, I believe it's, 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 it's the individual. Of course, you have uh, barriers in this field. I've worked with families that say, "Hey, Bryce, I didn't want to work with you," uh, I, you know, just because of for their own reasoning however 95 percent of the people that i go into the homes that don't look like me they welcome my help and, and welcome my expertise now you said something interesting you said you have to kind of guide them along this this, this journey absolutely how do, can you walk me through this process how does it work you somebody needs your services and they call you hey i need some help what, what do you do like you just jump over there in, in the bryson mobile and you head over there <laughs> well actually what i would do is that i'll get I'll, uh i'll read the assessment because the assessment is key because the assessment gives you an insight of what's going on and it took me years to understand uh, uh how to read an assessment how to break down an assessment and really uh and really understand the help that they need so it starts with the assessment and then the next step after the assessment is that you actually give them a phone call you pretty much it's, it's not like an interviewing process but you you go in there you tell them what you uh what the services that you provide and after reading this assessment what do you think that they're uh what do you think they need uh help with and from there um if they're interested in working with you then you go forward with it a lot of people i work with have diagnosis also mental health diagnosis and uh you have to be i don't want to say an expert but you have to be aware of some of the diagnosis and some of the symptoms uh, related to the diagnosis to provide the best services that you can. I see. Does that so involve that, you? you involve, I'm, I'm sorry, Trey. Does that involve you uh, writing prescription or do you refer that out? No, you, you can refer that out. No, that's that's a psychiatric doctor. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I ain't on that page. I ain't on that page. <laughs> okay. But the interesting part about that is that, you know, um, if, if you refer them to a psychiatric doctor, and you have the credentials behind you, the psychiatric doctor will go with your diagnosis and they would agree with you. And then your diagnosis will help guide what the psychiatric doctor feel like they need to prescribe the patient. Okay. Mm. So when you're having that initial conversation with them, Bryson, over the phone, how, 
what are some of the steps you use to engender trust with that person to have them go to the next step with you? Yeah, that's what I want to know. Uh, I'm honest. I'm honest mm-hmm. with them. I, I I tell them I tell them from the beginning. Hey, I'm not here. For one, I I, I uh, praise them for allowing me to to help them because it's a big deal when it's a big deal when somebody wants to reach out to a stranger mm-hmm. for them to allow you in their life to help them because in the African American community especially we're very private. <laughs> right. You know mm-hmm. you, you you know the old saying you know whatever stays in this house stays in this house. Yes. So I, I praise them for allowing me to come in and help them and work with them. And also, I encourage them that I'm not here to really say that I'm going to turn your life around 100%, but I'm going to give you the tools you need so you can be as successful as you could be going forward after working with me. So do you find that you do a lot of like cognitive therapies with them to kind of get them to see where they are? from an emotional point of view and trying to get them back to that center point of logic and emotion or what do you typically do? Absolutely. Uh, uh, What I would do is that I would have them explain to me what their problem is because a lot of times in an assessment, that's not that's not painting the, the whole picture <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so i would get i would talk to them in their own words because their words is not being translated to an assessment because when you read an assessment or you write an assessment you're writing it from a professional documentation so you have to go in there and when you speak to them understand where they're coming from in their own words and then you could break it down like that and say okay i understand what you're saying as well as the assessment and this i can this how i can help you going forward so, so how do you discount instances where you may have a an assessor who may who unconsciously may have some type of bias one way or another, and that got into the documentation, and now you're trying to filter through that information to get back to the core? How how do you work through that? The interview process, okay, is, is very important, and I'm glad that you asked that question because a lot of people they they they. They, they, I don't want to say they have a bias, but they assume that this is the issue. Mm-hmm. Okay. And 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 a lot of times when you, I, I worked in the past where I, uh, I took cases from other people, and they would say, "Hey, Bryson, this is what's going on with this client right here. This diagnosis right here. These symptoms right here." And then I would go and meet with the client. I'm like, "That's completely opposite from what I read." <laughs> mm-hmm. So then, so then mm-hmm. that leads to what misdiagnosis, <laughs> mm-hmm. and in turn. They getting prescribed wrong medication. They getting prescribed wrong. They they uh, getting the treatment that's not really effective for them, and then the cases of catastrophe. Unfortunately, that happens a lot. Wow. Now you said that uh, what Trey had brought up the point that the the biases in here. Do you think that has something to do with uh, the person they're speaking with? Because, like I said, like you said, uh, African American families are typically private. So, how do I know that? I can be open and free with you mm-hmm. as versus this other person. I didn't feel like telling him. Could that have something to do with it too? Could it be us? Um, I think, I think that's, that depends on the individual because a lot of people, it's, it's a very interesting dynamic because a lot of people are in therapy because they have to be in therapy. <laughs> so they're going to tell you what you want to hear so they can kind of shortcut their way through the goal so they can say, tell the judge or the probation officer or mm-hmm. anybody, hey, look what I did. I, I <laughs> sat down with him. I met with him for three months and this is what we achieved. But and you check the box. Yep. Ex- exactly. <laughs> and there's other people that's really there because they want to be in therapy and they understand that they need the help and then they're tr- entrusting you that you can help guide them to where they need to be 
Okay, let's talk about a, a scenario. Can you give me this this make up a story? Like, what's a typical situation somebody talk or uh, present to you and you talk them through it? Okay, I'll give you a scenario. I'm going to give you a scenario because I have my certification in CSAC, which is uh, clinician, sexually advocate, as uh, a client, sexually advocate youth clinician. Mm. So uh, I have a certification where I work with youth that uh, have inappropriate sexual behavior. I'm one of 300 in the whole state with this certification. And I remember going into a home. The home was beautiful. And I'm not going to really break down the case of what I saw, but one of the parents was a prosecutor for sex crimes in the county. Dang. And so I'm going into this home and I'm sitting down reading arena assessment and really getting the background with this family. And they're telling me, well, Mr. Davis, uh, well, I talked to the judge. So he told me that you're only going to be in here for three months. And this is what we're going to work on. And after three months, we're going to expect for you to write this for our <laughs> child. And so we can close the case out so we can Dang. put it behind us. <laughs> and wow. I'm like, and I'm like, wait a minute. Hold, hold on. Hold on. Who, who told you that? <laughs> mm-hmm. so I had to actually go to the probation officer and have them advocate for me to say no Mr. Davis is going to be the lead person on this case and you need to follow his plan for you for your child to get off probation and more importantly get the help that they need mm-hmm. yeah. so I run into a lot of that too <laughs> so, so if a person wasn't uh, uh, I guess morally strong or ethically strong they can probably give in to that type of absolutely. Uh, communication. A- a- absolutely. And you have a lot of times where people take cases that they don't want to take, but they have to take them. So especially in, in community uh, in community mental health, you know, like I ain't going to name companies or anything like that, but community mental health where they have to take these cases. But I always was the type of uh, uh, person that always wanted to take the toughest cases because I realized taking the toughest cases, one, you're going to uh, the, the child's going to get the help they need. And two is going to show you is going to show people that no matter what this person can perform, even when the when we think that these cases are impossible to complete. Mm. Is there mm. anybody that's this uh, a challenge to support or help or everybody can can come out a winner? Um, unfortunately, you can't help everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, only thing you can do is that you know that you're going in there and that you're doing the best that you can to provide the best services that you can, that you've been a professional that you can, educational, thorough as you can. And hopefully that they take that information that you provided them and the skills that they uh, that you provided them and they can go on and, and do great things with their life. Because I really feel like that I'm doing God's work. I feel like I'm ordained to do this. Like everybody can't be a doctor. <laughs> everybody right. can't do open heart surgery. Right. So it's funny mm-hmm. that everybody thinks that hey, I could be a counselor. I could go. Whoa, whoa. No, no, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, War, you're you're specialized in what you do. You're ordained to do what you do, yeah. and everybody can't do what you do. So I, I think that I'm doing God's work. So I believe that as long as I know I'm doing the right for that person, that at the end of the day, they're going to get the best out of it. Hey, Bryson, yeah. quick question for you. So when you're dealing with the individuals and you're, you're trying to come from a neutral place and you're starting to see things that are kind of like, hey, you know, two plus two in this case is it looks like it's like eating, leading up to a five versus a four. Right. Right. So, you know, you got a person that may be like a a, a victim perspective versus an alleged offender, because I'm not going to say anyone is is. You know, totally innocent or, or or completely guilty. So how how do you work that 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 
that situation where you got a person who's dealing with this flood of emotions, they're going back and forth, they're they're carrying baggage, they're dealing with situations that they have to get corrected, but they're also dealing with things that may have been uh, they may have been victim of as well. So how how do you deal with that? Well, one, you have to go in there and not have a bias. And you have to go in there knowing that you're going to do the best you can and that you can't that everybody can't be helped. I mean, uh, unfortunately, I, I hate to say it like that, but being in this work for 20 years, when I first got out of college, I said, I'm going to save the world. I'm going to go in there and help everybody I can help because I know I, I'm that type of person. And it just doesn't work out that way. You just have to be transparent with the individual and you have to be honest with them. And more importantly, people can see through fluff. They can see mm-hmm. if you're there for a check. <laughs> they can right. see if you're there to really help them. Mm-hmm. or and, and they can also see if you're there because you care and you're genuine about what you do, especially kids. Mm-hmm. Especially mm-hmm. kids. Because a lot of adults, they kind of go through the motions. If they say, I got, I, like I work with adults too that's, that was on probation and different things like that. So some of them do go through the motions because, hey, they don't want you there in the first place. They feel like they got to do it. But kids, a lot of times when I work with kids, they really want to help. And if a kid know that they can trust you and they can be open with you, they, it's amazing how much they open up to you more than they will open up to their parents. Because you showed it because you're showing that you care. Yeah. So how long does a person typically stay as 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 an open case or a file while working with you? Have you had an individual started off as an adolescent and maybe got into teenage or maybe someone who was an older teen got into like now they're 21 and they're transitioning to uh, an adult role on their own? Have you dealt with people for a long period of time? Yeah, absolutely. Some of the people I dealt with has been like the longest I had people was a year and a half. Mm-hmm. At, at the longest because because y- y- you want to make sure that you get in there you provide them with the help and the treatment and you want to sh- and you want them to show that what you're teaching them and that you're helping them with they can display it and a lot of people you don't want people to lean on therapy as a crutch you want them to lean on therapy as a stepping stone so they can go out and use the skills that you're providing them now if they want to follow up with you maybe like once every other week once a month for uh, ongoing treatment I think that's I think that's fantastic. However, sometimes being in therapy for two, three, four years sometimes can be too long in some yeah. instances. Yeah. So how do you cut the cord? I mean, it's like okay, you want to wow. fly a little bird? I mean, what, right. how do how do you uh, have that conversation? You just well, say you close for that day. Well, you well well <laughs> well well, uh, well, uh, well we we set up short term goals. Okay. Like we say, after a month, we want to see this progress. Mm-hmm. Okay, after two months, we want to see this progress. Well, okay, we, we had a setback. That's okay. So let's let's not go. We're not going back all the way to the drawing board. We're going back into uh, the, the a situation where, you know, you kind of maybe slipped up or you, you had a setback. And then we'll start from there again. So mm-hmm. usually short, uh, short-term goals once a month, once every, uh, once, uh, every several weeks that you would look at the progress of the treatment. And you say, okay, you're doing well in this area. Let's go to this area. Okay, you're doing well in this area. You go in this area. It's pretty much like you're breaking down a person and building them back up again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. From a mental, emotional, spiritually, and uh, mentally perspective. So you give them several uh, tasks to work on at one time? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm one of them therapists I work with you. I'm going to leave you assignments every time I see you. We, we, we doing some assignment. You know, we what is your purpose? What is your purpose in treatment? What do you want to get out of treatment? Where do you want to see yourself a month from now? Where do you want to see yourself six months from now? Where do you want to see yourself a year from now? What, what do you want to see yourself emotionally 30 days from now, psychologically 30 days from now? Short term goals like that, it, 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 it helps. And also it keeps people engaged. Mm-hmm. It keep them confident. 
and it makes them feel good knowing that they're accomplishing something in their life going forward. Now, part of the things that you do, do you do things such as, you know, getting them back out in society if they've been kind of reclusive, showing them how to do basic financing, getting them back to stores, doing being self-sufficient, those types of things? Or is Yeah, more yeah, of, definitely okay. living skills. Yeah, yes, definitely okay. living social skills. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I think you you, you don't want to get in there thinking that you, you, you fishing for them. You want them how to fish because you mm-hmm. won't be in their lives mm-hmm. forever. Right. <laughs> so you want to teach them how to fish. So after they're done with you, they should they should have a feeling like, you know what, Mr. Davis, we've been working with each other for this amount. I think I'm confident. I think I'm ready. I think I have the skills where I can go out and I could be a productive member of society. That's good. And we know each person is different. So how do you give, you know, individuals recommendation on how they engage on social media as well? I mean, there's a lot of things they could put out there like, hey, wait a minute, that's kind of going kind of productive what we talked mm-hmm. about. So mm-hmm. how, do you, how do you handle that? You got to base everything in reality. At least I do. Mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. Everything ha- it has to be reality based because with social media, we all know that's not reality. <laughs> uh, we don't all know that. <laughs> well, well, you're right about that. We all don't know that, and, and, and especially children and some adults, you know. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. But I, you, you have to base things in reality. And, and sometimes you, you, it's hard to do, but you have to be brutally honest uh, with people, because if it's not working, why keep telling them to keep doing it if it's not working? Mm-hmm. So you have to be brutally honest with people. And if people trust you and they know that you're there for their well-being, they will take your advice and they, and, and they will take your advice going forward. And they will use the things that you're telling them to do. Mm-hmm. That's a good point, too. And speaking of social determinants of health, if a person is living in a situation where maybe his housing environment is the safest or it's racism or discrimination in his neighborhood, how how do you work with him on getting better when he's in a, a situation that may not be ideal? Regarding with racism or yeah, just so social determinants of health. I mean, whatever it may be, if it's like I said, it's housing, it's neighborhood, racism. I mean, uh-huh. whatever issues brought him to you, mm-hmm. do, do you have to kind of like work with like everything, or you can just work with him and have him adapt to that environment? I, I, I think I think what you said was key, man. Adapt to the environment because you can't change everybody's environment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you, just, you just can't. But I agree with you 100%. Adapting to their environment in the best way, in the most positive way that you that, that they can. Because I go into a lot of communities where a lot of these people live uh, are, are lower income communities. And it take, it's, it's hard starting at the bottom, getting yourself out of those, uh, out of that predicament. However, you teach them skills that say, you know what, although you in this uh, predicament, the socioeconomic level you are now, it don't have to be like this forever. But these are the steps that to get out of this environment to get to where you're trying to go. But how how do you counter that when, let's say, the worst case scenario, if the primary caregiver is the one who's causing the most havoc in that person's life? How do you balance that, especially if they're a minor? You know, and and I'm glad you say that, because when I when I work with kids, you know, the first two sessions, I don't really talk to the kid. I focus directly on the parent. Mm-hmm. because you and the parent has to be on the same page because mm-hmm. you can be in there with a kid for an hour, hour and a half doing therapy and you leave and the mom like, I don't know why you listen to that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, he, he don't know what he's talking about or he ain't in this situation. He don't live how we live. You so, try that if you want to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, the, so I, I, and, and I think that comes with experience because... Uh-huh. The relationship with the parent or the caregiver is key to anything that you do, especially working with kids, because they have to be on the same page 
as you are because at the end of the day they're the one that's going to be dealing with that child and rearing that child after you out the home Mm -hmm. now do you work with uh the more uh you know places like around here like daymar or do you work with individuals in places like that as well who might have yeah, uh, I, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah I, I have some kids that was in daymar i have some kids that was in daymar i have some kids that's in probation i have some kids that was uh that was locked up in prison i have some kids that's in group homes i work with kids that's been adopted i work with kids that um that lost parents that's grieving I work with a broad uh, population of kids, definitely. And all and uh, every case is different. There's no case the same. <laughs> oh, I can believe that. There's no case yeah. the same. None. Do you have uh so you mentioned you're religious. Do you put your religious stamp on uh your cases or you, you kind of you know, you know, you, you know it's interesting, man, because growing uh in early in our field, it was somewhat taboo to bring in religion in your sessions. Mm. It, it, it really was. And they don't encourage you to bring it up. Usually when I bring up, I, I tell them from the beginning that, hey, uh, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a Christian. Me and my wife, we attend church um, every Sunday. I'm active in the church. Um, they know where I stand. So if they want to bring up religion, I, I would allow them to take that step forward with that. And then I would, then we would discuss it, but I would never bring it up to, to them. Uh, cause, cause that, cause that can maybe make or break a relationship too, depending on the person you're talking to. Cause some, I work with some people, they'd be like, I ain't in here to talk about church. They're like, Hey, I ain't even saying <laughs> that. I'm just, uh-huh. just telling you how I feel. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. That, exactly. That's a thin line that we have to really watch with that. Yeah. I think to, to your point, you talk to them more to the idea of there are, there are certain truths that are universal. I don't care who, who you are, where you're from, certain things are right. Certain things are wrong. And if you can get that common ground, like you're saying, that makes for a good productive session for that individual to start with absolutely absolutely now um i'm i'm thinking like this too because it seems like this is a complex uh dynamic to work with this population so you went to two schools iu and then you went to martin university is that yes. correct yes martin university in indianapolis indiana i got my master's in 2017 in community psychology man and i'm gonna say two different things and, and, and psychology you know, the, the definition of psychology is a study of the mind and how it works. But community psychology is actually going out in the community and also mm. the study of the mind how it works. But we're more preemptive in community psychology. What can we can what can we do to prevent the individual from making that mistake, or what can we do to prevent the individual from having a breakdown um, before you know they have the breakdown? That that's what community psychology is. Uh, okay. Is, mm-hmm. Yeah. Almost yeah. like proactive versus reactive. Act- um, absolutely. So what I was trying to get at by the, the two different colleges, one seems to be a traditional school and the other uh, historically black college. Is there a difference in the preparation or training that you received or experience? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, Indiana was a great university. I had so much fun. I mean, <laughs> I, I learned a lot there, uh, but I feel like a number. You, you, you feel like a number because I would be in a, a, a class and there'd be 300 other, children, I mean, other students in there. Mm-hmm. But when I was mm-hmm. at Martin, it was me and maybe like 10 other people. And I had a personal relationship with my professors. I had a personal relationship with my, uh, with my uh, guidance counselors. I even had a relationship with the president of the university. I never met the president of the university in Indiana. There was no way I could meet the president of the <laughs> university. Right. But yeah. at Martin, I could actually go up to his office, knock on his door, send an appointment, actually sit down. Because when I was in Martin, it was Dr. White. Dr. Mm-hmm. White was the president there yeah. and I and he would allow all students to come up and talk to him 
uh, pick his brain, get feedback. And I, and my personal experience, Martin was a better educational experience for me, and it, and it grew me more than Indiana would have ever did for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I went to IU too, so I know how big it is. I remember the first time I got on campus, man. I said, I'm not gonna buy a book bag. I'm just gonna <laughs> carry on <all> my books. <laughs> if you went there, you know how stupid that was. <laughs> you did a lot of walking, man. You did a lot of walking. It's his own city. It's it's just it's just huge. Yeah. So yeah, so that that's good that you went there. And uh, how do your friends feel about you uh, being in this field? Do they come to you for advice, or they send you their kids, or anything? Or how does uh, that you work? Know, you, you know, it's interesting because a lot of my friends. They, they, they come to me for some advice, but I think they're uh, shy or reserved about me getting into their business. Mm, so, th- they, mm-hmm. so they don't want to look at me like, well, I'm having issues with my son, so I don't want you knowing issues with my family or different things like that. And I tell my friends all the time where I'm like, why didn't you just come to me and ask me? I would have gave you or I would have pointed you in the right direction. I would have gave you material that, you, mm-hmm. that, that would help you. Uh, 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 with your son so I, I think a lot of that is reservation because of the privacy matter not because they don't want to come to me for my advice I think it's more of a privacy matter you know Bryson I gotta ask you this question it makes me think how do you typically respond to half the conversations that are in the barbershop because there's a lot of stuff that's, that's <laughs> I think about people coming in there and they're just talking you may or may not know you may have friends that go to the same place or not you know um, yeah it's just the conversations that are in there and you know everybody is an expert in the barbershop yeah I mean, everybody yeah. everyone's got it everybody's got a degree in in, in common sense at yeah. some point but yeah. uh how, how do you how do you how do you deal with that because you, you hear something you know, there's no connection necessarily with the person that you're there with you know and you hear something off the wall you're like hmm that that doesn't go with what i've experienced or what i've seen so do you yeah. chime in or do you gotta hold back? Yeah, I, I, I do sometimes, but I think you just gotta come from a place of understanding because what's reality to some people may not be reality to you. <laughs> but, true it's that, the, true but, that. It's the, but it's their reality. So uh-huh. what I would do is that I would give my opinion and a lot of times like, so who is you? Are you a therapist? Uh, yeah, I am. <laughs> and then they'd be like, Oh, then Uh-oh. that makes sense. You know right, what I'm yeah. So yes. I, I, I come from a place of understanding because in this field, a lot of people, because in my field, I mean, a lot of people don't understand that when I work through my career, man, it will be the worst thing you can do is look down on somebody. That's mm-hmm. the worst thing that you can do because people get beat down all day. You don't mm-hmm. got to kick them when they down. <laughs> so right. you got to come from a place of understanding and say, hey, I understand where you come from, but guess what? I know a better way that you possibly mm-hmm. can get this done. And you can take my advice if you want it or not, but from my expertise and from what I've learned and from my, this is the way it may have to be done. And you know, so interesting because I'm going in there open to learn from other people too. I don't know everything. So I'm going in there with an open mind to learn too. And and I and and I and I think that's because uh, the barbershop have in, interesting conversations too. And sometimes I just be like, it's just best Bryson just to be quiet. Because sometimes <laughs> mom says you don't got nothing good to say, don't say it at all. So I I I, I, I understand that the older I get. Yeah, well, I have a, a barber's license, and I've worked in a barbershop for many years. Uh-huh. So I've seen firsthand how these experts come in there and talk mm-hmm. about everything. 
and it's mm-hmm. been it's been a tradition tr- with black people yes. to actually go yep. to the barbershop to get there absolutely uh, yeah for years so yeah it's a lot of things have been going on there so a- 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 absolutely and uh war me and you had uh conversations that when we used to work with each other we like man we gotta go back to work man we we had our own barbershop conversations <laughs> right. in the yeah. cafeteria we yep. like we gotta go and matter yep. of fact i think me and you were the only two black people at the job yeah, we were. <laughs> He's, right. <laughs> He's right. Yeah, we was. Yeah, yeah, because you have to. And we would talk to each other, and we could balance stuff off. So yeah. I, I know that's why people go to the shop and they sometimes get misinformation like that. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and you know, we and the more and the most important too, we gotta hold each other accountable. Yes, that's it. That's it. Accountability yeah. means so much. And if you know, and if you know somebody's not doing something right, or they're talking and it's not right. It, I, I believe as black men, we, we we have to we have to stir them in the right direction. Say, so, hey man, that, that's not right what you're saying, or I don't know where you got the information from, but that's not right. Maybe you should. And and I'm the type of guy I won't tell you. I'll guide you. Hey, look this up. So I, I don't I don't want to come off like oh he think he know it all. And but I'll just say, hey man, this is a re- this is a resource. Why don't you look this up and you come to your own conclusion on what you think about it. Yeah, I like that approach because I, it's traditionally I don't think society really works off someone else just correcting them because that kind of transitioned to the point I wanted to ask you about uh, how do you think black men are affected by this like these George Floyd situations and stuff where yeah you like you said we should correct somebody if they always say well this this is just a one or two bad cops they're not telling on the other cops who are doing things so absolutely so society absolutely. doesn't really teach us to kind of correct people when they're wrong so absolutely. And, and and especially, I don't want to say that, but especially in our communities too, because we have a we have a habit of saying, "Hey, my business." Wait, wait, wait! It should be your business. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, sh- it should be your business. In some instances, it should be. And it's sad too, you know. We think about our community. What are the races out there? This is what you need to do to stay alive when engaging with the police. Oh my God! Yeah, absolutely. I mean, talk about therapy right there at home. I mean, that's real talk right there. So. You know, I think a lot of times folks are carrying around that trauma from their parents and then they Absolutely. take it to the street. And so then it's just continues. It's, it's a snowball effect. It just keeps going on and on. So we got to find a way to break this. We got to find a way to break the cycle. You know? Absolutely. And 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 I tell people logic has to come before emotion. Mm. And a lot of things that we have to do, you have to be mindful, but you got to be logical about things too, because mm-hmm. you never, nothing ever comes good when you're doing it out of emotion. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to stop. I teach a lot of kids I work with, you have to stop and you have to think. And even as I get older and as I'm an adult, I, ha- I, I'm still improving in that skill to be mindful of what you say, mindful of what you do, mindful of where you go and mindful who's watching. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> You know, uh, because it, it takes a split second, second to build a reputation. It take a lifetime to break that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I tell my kids all the time. I said, when emotions are high, reason tends to be lower. Mm-hmm. So when you mm. make emotional decisions, it it can you can do something in two seconds that can change your whole life. So you right, you have to do that. Absolutely. I don't know if you could, uh, Trey. You mentioned that to uh, have that conversation with your kids. I'm not sure if everybody knows how to have that conversation, how to act mm-hmm. around different people, because a lot of things hadn't been working. So, mm-hmm. so, so how, how would you handle that one? Uh, when you come in there, Bryce, how do you handle that when people don't know how to talk to their kids? Not just about 
dealing with police, but just life. In general, you know? yeah. Well, you, you can't parent from a fear-based perspective. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. You, remember, you, you remember back when you was younger, your mom like, if I catch you doing that again, I'm going to do this, do this, do this to you. Right. Like, I'm, th- I'm going to tell you a quick story. I'll never forget, man, where um, I was in middle school. And, uh, and you know, back in the days, you, you and your buddies, you would carry around, uh, you would carry around things in your wild to think that you're cool. And my brother pulled it out, and my mom was like, Bryce, if I catch you having sex, I'm gonna do this to you, do this to you, do this to you. So that really kind of put a shield up to me to not go talk to my mother about sex. Mm-hmm. And, and, mm-hmm. and who would you get your advice from? Your peers. <laughs> And your peers don't know yep. Like, yep. Like <laughs> yep. So, so you got to create, you have to create that atmosphere with children where they're not afraid to come and speak to you about things because things now, everything that you do with your child is a teachable moment. Because if a child coming into you about an issue or situation, they seeking your guidance, they, they seeking your expertise. But a lot of times as parents, we parent it from a fear-based perspective. If I catch you doing this again, this is going to happen to you. Well, that's just going to make the child do things in a more private manner where you really won't find out. So then when it happens, you're like, how could my child do that? Well, they were trying to tell you that last month, but you told them that they come at you again. That you're going to hit them in the head with a broom or something. So right. you, you have to create that atmosphere where you have to create the atmosphere where that child is not afraid to talk to you about any issue and that you're open and that you t- that the child is aware that my mother's not going to be upset me coming with her about this but she's going to come from an understanding perspective because it's so complex to be a kid in 2021 i can imagine it now with social media man i can you know, imagine it oh my goodness i just thought about it had a flashback bryce and maybe ward i know if you heard this too when you was younger when you're going to the store what your parents say, say to you don't ask for nothing. Don't Come touch on. nothing. Come on, don't talk. You know what I'm saying? So it's kind of like, even before you even open up your mouth, go into the store, they setting you up like, don't even try me. Absolutely. So that, that sets that tone, like you said, that fear of, boy, if I can't ask for nothing or say something when I, when I haven't done nothing, what am I going to do if, if I'm really in trouble? You know? Absolutely. So, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and that's why I say, uh, and me and War had great conversations about this. You can overcome a bad upbringing. It's hard mm-hmm. to overcome bad peer influences. Yeah. It's, it's really hard be, it, it, because, and, and a lot of advice that I, I, I remember, because I had a strong family support with my mom. So, but a lot of the advice a lot of my friends was getting, they was coming from their friend, they was getting from the other peers. And they're giving you bad advice because they don't know themselves. Right. So mm-hmm. you think that you're doing it right because in your peers' eyes it's, it's, it's right to them, but in actuality it's a detriment to where it's it's a detriment to you. Yeah, that that reminded me of a story. Two things. First thing I want to say is I was doing some research the other day on <clears throat> interracial dating. Okay. I don't have a problem with, with anybody dating anybody. I figured if, you, if this worked for you and that worked for him, I'm all for it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How, however, this one guy said he didn't like black women and he would never date one. He's a black man. I was interested in the story. And he said, after he finally got down to it, he said, because my mother used to always hit me in the head with a flip-flop. And I, it just made me so mad. I said, I'd never date a black woman because of that. So sometimes, I guess... I didn't know this, but I guess sometimes you cannot like a certain type of woman because something happened to you as your childhood. Absolutely. What, what color was the flip flop? <laughs> it was that Dollar Tree one with a good grip on it. I was just amazed that somebody, I just couldn't imagine not liking my mother, but I, I guess I realized that that happens. Absolutely. It does. It happens a lot. 
It happens a lot. And that's why a lot of these kids are out here getting in the trouble that they're getting into because they don't feel like they can go to a parent or an older relative or any adult authority figure and talk to them because they feel like they're not going to come from a place of understanding. They come from a place of ridicule. They're going to come from a place of scolding. So they're like, I don't want to hear that. I'm not mm-hmm. even going to say anything about it. Yeah, and, and they'll, they'll continue that. I think, Trey, you and I talked about this before, too, where people just keep doing what their parents did and their parents mm-hmm. did and they don't know. Because mm-hmm. there was a story of a lady who used to always, every time she would cook this certain type of meat, she would cut the end pieces off. And her mm-hmm. husband was like, well, why, why'd you cut the end pieces off? He said, because my mother do it. So he said, I'm going to call your mother and ask her. So she called her mother and said, why you cut the end pieces off? She said, because my mother did it. So she called her, So he called her mother and said, well, why you do it? She said, well, I always cut the end pieces off because my pot was too small. Mm. <laughs> so I was like, so, so st- until somebody breaks that cycle, we keep mm-hmm. repeating stuff, repeating like sort of like uh, you know, like when people have a, a baby at sixteen, then they kid mm-hmm. have a baby at sixteen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's I, that stuff just blows my mind. It just super. Well, you know, you know, it's interesting because my mother she was a very wise woman. She always could say, "Hey, your you, you, your sins can your you, your sins can be passed down to the next generation." Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely, that's mm-hmm. true. She tell me all the time that she said. So if you don't address it now. Where do you think it's gonna go, Bryson? It's not gonna be an atmosphere. It has to go. It has to get passed on to something. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, a lot of times to get passed on to our kids. You're right. You're right. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, so I, I guess more. Maybe we should have therapy in school. Maybe they should, you know, have a like a, a class or something. You know. Absolutely. I, you know, I did school therapy for a year. I'm not going to say the school that I worked at, <laughs> but okay. I, I was a therapist in the school uh, for a year. And it wasn't a lot of black kids at this school, and my and the and the company I was employed with at that time, they told me, Bryson, you got to stop uh, seeing all these kids that's not your clients. And I said, I can't help it. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of the black kids in the school would come to me because there wasn't a lot of African Americans that was teachers at that school, and they would come to me for guidance. They would come mm-hmm. to me for advice. Yeah, they would come I can to see me that because I would hold them accountable. And mm-hmm. I didn't appreciate that with my company because I said I thought we was in the business of helping kids. Oh, I get it. We in the business of helping kids that's going to pay for services. I got it. So uh, uh, that was somewhat of a turnoff, but but that opened my eyes a lot to me to say, you know what, these kids really need somebody to reach out to in a school that looks like them because we have to be honest, sometimes you're just a lot more comfortable going to people who look like you, who think like you, who may come from your same environment and who they feel like can understand where you come, where they're coming from. Yes, relatable. That's, that's key. Absolutely. Um, I agree with that totally because that's probably why they're having such a hard time with getting people to take the COVID shot because we know what happened before. So people are like, I don't really know you like that. And I know what y'all did to my grandfather. So mm-hmm. I don't trust you now. And you can't blame them for that. Yeah, sure yeah. can. And, and I heard they're trying to go to barbershops now to get the barbershop owners to talk to people about the COVID shot. Oh, okay. So, so, so they, they're realizing that, you know, like you said earlier, this is where people have communications, and, and this is something we need to do. So, so y'all, know, y'all, y'all are aware of stuff. So we, I give them kudos for that. Absolutely, absolutely. Wow. So, um, how do you handle stress, Bryson? I mean, because that seemed like that you taking everybody else's problem. How do you break that down? Stress. You know, you know, uh, a lot of times before I go to the home, I pray to God to uh, put the words in my mouth, in my heart, in my soul. Mm. Uh, to speak to them and once I get and once I do leave the home 
I also pray to say, you know, Lord, don't let me go home with this. And because sometimes you see some cases, man, where it just impacts you. Some cases just gets to you, man. It just, yeah. mm-hmm. it, it, you know, some cases just gets to you. And, and and I like to exercise. I don't play ball no more. I'm retired. My wife said you can't play no more. So I'm done. I don't play ball no more. So <laughs> I, I work out a lot. I run. I work out a lot. I read and mm-hmm. uh, I listen to music. And, and to be honest with you, I'm to the point now where you realize that you can't you can't take it home because because yeah. if you take it home, you take it out on the people who, who love you the most and, and who's there for you the most, which is your family. So you, you, you can't take it home with you. And you have to understand that you, you can't you can't save everybody. Only thing you can do is do the best that you can and knowing in your heart that you gave the best effort that you can and, and just pray that the person that you're working with, they receive it and they do the best and they do the best with the information that you provided them. Man, Bryson, you, you hit it right in the head. So then with with you and your wife now, you know, Ward Centro mentioned that she's a nurse. Don't know what kind of nurse she is, ER nurse, trauma nurse or whatever. She, so you work. Yeah. <laughs> do you work hard to that not to exchange war stories? And, and well, you know, you won't believe what I have. OK, well, you don't believe what I have. So how, 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 do, how do you have a conversation? <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you know, you know, it's interesting, man, because uh, it's interesting because when I come home and uh-huh. I and I and I decompress with her, I, I usually I usually talk to her, but she's there to listen. And I had to understand that because I'll be 10 years married in August that sometimes when people, whether your spouse or somebody is talking to you, they don't want you to reply. They just want you to listen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thanks. Mm-hmm. That's true. Just get mm-hmm. it out. You, you just get it out you because sometimes my, my wife be like bryson you didn't have to say i didn't want you to give me your opinion i just want you to listen <laughs> so 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 if if i know it's something that's really is really weighing heavily on me uh-huh i i, I uh a lot of times what I, a lot of what weighs heavily on me is i'm working with a kid and i know that the therapy is not connecting with them and i know i have to close the case and i don't want to feel guilty about closing that case but mm-hmm. you know it's probably the best because what or either they're not receiving it they're not making any progress or just not a good match Th- those are really my toughest conversations with my wife because i don't want to give up on any kid and sometimes yeah. as a therapist you guys know sometimes you feel like if it's not working that you're giving up on that kid but you're not really giving up on that kid maybe you stepping back and allowing somebody else to get a different voice for that kid is really gonna help that kid in the long run mm-hmm. absolutely especially uh, if just, you had a relationship with them that's tough i can only yeah. imagine yeah absolutely just want to put an asterisk on there. His wife's name is Tiffany, and I believe she's a neonatal nurse. No, uh, she's uh, she. Uh, I'm gonna break her down. She was she's a, she was a maternity nurse. Okay. And, okay. and she went back. She she got her master's in epidemiology. Okay. So, which is a study of diseases, and she's back, and that, and then she just graduated actually with her master's in nursing. Mm, congratulations! Oh, okay. Yes, congratulations. Yeah. So, uh, I think she wants to do more the corporate side. Okay. <laughs> have it now because she spent years on delivering babies. She was a maternity nurse for years, mm-hmm. and so now she says she want to go uh, on the corporate side because she want to help a lot of people come up from a corporate side level um, than actually being in the hospital. So yeah, she paid her dues in the hospital, like I paid mine in the community. <laughs> so yeah. she paid her dues. Yeah. So basically, Let's... they about to, they about to have a payday. So no nah, okay. man. <laughs> <laughs> More administration, less clinical. Got you. All right. right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Okay. Uh, well, we're at that time of the show where uh, we're going to have to do this thing called getting to know you, where we just ask you some random questions, you know, just some things we just want to know about you. And you can just answer with them. Just tell us the first thing that comes to mind. 
Okay. Did you have any you wanted to go with Trey, or you just want me to run down? Go ahead. I'll, I'll, I'll jump in after that. Go ahead. All right. Uh, who's a better singer, Marvin Gaye or Luther Vandross? I got to go with Luther. <laughs> okay. well, 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 skinny Luther or big Luther? Which one? <laughs> Well, uh, hey, it's up to you. Uh, Marvin Gaye is going to get that, both of That's what Cedric Entertainer was saying. I, I, I go, I go with Luther, man. Okay. I go with Luther. Uh, what's your favorite movie of all time? I have two. Well, I have three. Uh, hey. Godfather One, Godfather Two, and The Ten Commandments. Wow, that's mm. from that one end quick. of the spectrum to the other. That came quick. <laughs> I think mine would have to be Love Jones and Cooley High. What about you, Trey? What's your favorite movie? Uh. Y- y- Actually, you know what? I kind of like Drumline. I know it's kind of corny, but oh. I like Drumline. <laughs> wow. Okay. I didn't see that one coming. Well, you know, it's it's not my favorite, but it's it's I like I like how we came up. I'm just saying. Yeah. Note to self. Don't I'm, ask Trey. Nothing else. Okay. Cool. <laughs> okay. I, I need a session by myself. <laughs> right. After, after Absolutely. That comment, so <laughs> next question. Apple or Android? Apple. Okay, he said that mm, quick. Trey real is just quick. Trey is just coming on to the Apple side. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Trey. Okay, so quick question for you then: Mountains or oceans? Which do you prefer? Oh, uh, ocean. I, I I went to the cabins down in Tennessee. I told my wife I'd never have to go back again. Yeah. I, uh, Gat, was that Gatlinburg? Yeah. yeah that's where I, Gatlinburg. Uh, okay. Yeah. I, hey, man, put me on the ocean with my feet kicked up any day. Of <laughs> <laughs> I thought that's right. Oh. What's the best advice you've ever received? Well, uh, I'm a guy, I got to keep God first, and um, another one: if 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 you're good, if you're good to people, they 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 always will remember you. But if you're bad to people, they will never forget. Mm. Mm. All right. Uh, random childhood memory that you're fond of. Um. My, my stepfather picking us up uh, for like the Sugar Ray Leonard fights, the Celtics versus Laker games. Yeah. You know, because being in the house with four women, my, my stepdad used to pick us up and be like, y'all coming with me. Y'all need to be around all these women, man. Y'all need to come around with me. And it's interesting because I have buddies with sons and they come over. I'm like, where are your sons at? They at home. My, my stepdad used to go places. He would take me and my brother everywhere. Everywhere. Wow. That's everywhere. Nice. Yep. That's, I mm. think that was the old school back then, though. That was, yeah. That yeah, you're right. Yep. Yeah. Um, what's her uh, hidden talent? Uh, my hidden talent, to be honest with you, <laughs> that's funny. Nobody ever asked you that. That's funny you say that. My hidden talent is that I can sing. <laughs> what? what? Oh, yeah. okay. Go ahead. Give us a sample. No, man. Uh... <laughs> oh, see that? See that? You can't. You gotta let it out. Well. Um... <laughs> What, okay, I thought you were gonna say you hit talent. Be you, you cook those uh turkeys. Oh, and I could cook and I could barbecue. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, see, I think see, I'm the best in the city to be honest with you, but I don't want to say that. He'd know? even leave with that, so I don't even know no more. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I got three more. Trey, you want to jump in? Yeah, go ahead. I got. Well, I was gonna get my list back up here. I lost my. I lost my screen. Go ahead. All right. One thing you would change about yourself, if anything, I would have took my undergrad uh, academics more serious. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, be, because from Indiana, you could I could have went anywhere in the world from Bloomington. 
Uh, and right. I, I would have took my academics definitely. Uh, I would have took my academics more serious than anything, definitely. Because when I was in school, man, it's funny, man. We used to be going out to we used to be going out. And I'm in fraternity, and uh, in the library, you can see uh, a lot of different ethnicities, and they're studying 11, 12 o'clock at night. And we used to be like, yeah. "What? They crazy?" But looking yeah. back on it, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I you're right. They're right with them. <laughs> hey, I guess if they would have read "Rich Dad Poor Dad," they would have knew that. But yeah, kind of sort of. What's your pet peeve? Lack of honesty. Mm, mm-hmm. Hey, what's one thing that you would take from this childhood, from the children of this era, that you wish you had back then? Um, I, I think transparency, because in our era, it was shut up, be quiet, do this. It, it was back then, it was, uh, it was rule with an iron fist, but nowadays kids have more of a voice. And they have more of an outlet for a voice. Mm-hmm. But back in our day, we didn't have that outlet like that uh, for a voice like we had, uh, like they have now. Yeah. True, true. Uh, spanking or timeout? <laughs> well, I'm going to say timeout. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, okay. well, well, I think corporal punishment is necessary at certain times, but I think that should be a last resort. Oh, mm. yeah, I, agree. I agree with that. If you weren't doing this job, what would you be doing? Um, if I wasn't doing this job, to be honest with you, Ward, man, I don't think I would want to do anything else, man. I, I wouldn't see me doing anything else besides what I'm doing, man, to be honest mm. with you. That's good. Hey, I got one last question on board if you got something after this, but name something that a lot of people like, but you cannot stand. Mm. Uh, snow. <laughs> hey, I'm with <laughs> you on that. I, I think we all you. agree on that. That's, hey, that's, hey, I, at the last winter, I told my wife, I, I, I cut my own grass all day and just sit back and admire it. I'm never yes. showing snow again. <laughs> yeah. yeah, snow is, yeah, we, we three black men. That shouldn't even been brought up. But it, yeah, ain't I, no kid, it wasn't no kids in the neighborhood. I was like, I guess somebody 50 bucks to shovel my line. Man, I'm, I'm not doing this. Yeah, and you I can't was a payday when I was growing up, man. You know, I still hate it. I don't know why we in Indiana. I don't even know. But, uh, <laughs> I got I got one last question. Here's my last one. If you had to pick one of these two, what would it be? Kappa Alpha Psi or Phi Beta Sigma? Oh, Phi Beta Sigma all day. Oh, all day. <laughs> okay. Incorporated. Not, not, not saying it like that because I, I got a lot of love for Kappas. I got a lot of buddies as Kappas and the Alphas too. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's no disrespect to them. But, yeah, I would have to take Phi Beta Sigma. Okay, I was, I was a loaded question. I knew you were gonna say that. I knew you wouldn't say nothing but that. You better get a lot of phone calls afterwards, right? Like, hey, wait a minute, bro. Let's talk to me. Shout out to all the out there. They're cool with me, man. Yeah, yeah. All right, y'all. Let me do the closing right quick, and then we'll we'll wrap it up. Mental health is essential to personal well-being, family, and interpersonal relationships, and the ability to contribute to community or society. Out of our desire to create long-lasting change in the Black community, we're using our platform to bring awareness to all. I've heard one story of too many times in the Black community that people are struggling in darkness. Anyone, regardless of how strong they are or how strong they may appear to have it together, may be struggling with their mental health. You're not alone, and in your pain, you're not weak or less than because you're hurting. It's time we all reach out and ask for help because that's what it takes to achieve this true healing we need. And as Bryson alluded to earlier, we should never look down on someone unless we're helping them up. So thank you again, Mr. Bryson Davis, on behalf of What's Up Ward Podcast. Peace. 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 
So this is what Ward is wondering. I'm thinking about the double standard that exists when it comes to a man, woman, and even in relationships. Is it fair? Is it right? Or is it just common? Peep this. Men are expected to pursue women, and I think people are okay with that. Women like being chased, and uh, men don't mind doing pursuing. I guess they're the hunter, and they're the huntee if you want to look at it that way. But men have the pressure of making the first move. But in this year of 2020 and 2021, with all that Me Too, Me Three movement, all that stuff, how does a guy even talk to a woman in, in this type of era without it being like he was too aggressive, he tried to sexually assault me? I, I just wouldn't even know what to do. Uh, my philosophy has always been to not really pursue a girl, get to know her, talk to her, then let her tell you if she likes you. If she don't give you a response back, keep it moving. That seemed to be the best thing for me because I saw a guy at work talk to a girl once and he uh, left a note on her desk and she took it to HR. He just like, hey, what's up? Can we have coffee? She said that was sexual harassment. Of course, sexual harassment works the way uh, like this. If somebody says something or does something, you go to your supervisor or HR, then they have a conversation with you. Hey, Jenny said this was that was that and it was uncomfortable. Please don't do that again. Otherwise, they'll take action. Then you do it again. That was sexual harassment. But still, for the guy to make that uh, attempt to reach out there, she shot him down. It just makes me think that maybe women look at sexual harassment if it's somebody they don't like. So if a guy like, say, hmm, nice looking man like Flavor Flav walks up to a girl and says, hey, can I get your number? That's sexual harassment. But if Bo- Boris Kojo comes up and says, hey, can I get your number? Then that was destiny. It's just crazy. I think women have such a high standard of what they can and won't do in relationships. Sometimes they feel like, I would never ask a guy to marry me, but yet still you've been in a relationship for 20 years with a guy waiting when you could just say, hey, you marry me. If you they know, then you can kick rocks. So, but then again, that's logic over emotion. I guess we should just leave that out the picture. Another thing I think is double standard is um, women are expected to be clean and neat and tidy and organized. Because if you go into a house and the house is dirty, you would say, man, his wife or his girlfriend keep a dirty house. Not knowing it could be him who's a dirty bird. Uh, my situation, my parents always had me do stuff like, uh, I guess, traditional female role with you. I, I learned how to cook at an early age. And I always kept my bed neat and cleaned up when I got up in the morning. And before I went to school, I cleaned the house and did all my chores. When I came home, it wasn't that much to do besides do my homework and I go out and play. So I guess I'm used to the guy being clean too. But yeah, guys can be as nasty as they want to as long as they keep the outside of the house looking good, keep the car running, the grass cut. I guess that's okay. But I ran across my fair share of women who. <laughs> who weren't really clean so yeah i guess they just get credit when the house isn't clean but that's interesting and uh another thing i want to say about those uh differences no double standards is how come uh a woman can have 15 guy friends and that's all cool in the game but if a guy has 15 girls he's got to be sleeping with them all he's a player he's a womanizer all kind of things so it just seems like we just have different standards all the way around. What's good for the goose is not always good for the gander. I guess that's what that saying goes like. I don't know. But anyway, I'm just worried about the double standards. I'm warned.